following is a paid program this is on the 630 WLAP on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome to the camp. I guess you all know why we're here. My name is Tommy, and I became aware this year. If you want to follow me, you've got to play pinball. Your earplugs, put on your eye shades, you know where to put the cork. Seventeen, two 2002, I gave my life to Christ. I used to worship Satan here. I was, in fact, I went so far as to tattoo a 666, more or less a portrait of myself with wings as Satan. I see Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. In the first hour this week, we have joining us Burl Kane, who is head of the Mississippi Department of Corrections. I bet you wondered with this intro music where we were going. That's where we're going. So without further ado, Tom, take it away. Turn that back up. Right, right there is Aaron Neville of the Neville Brothers from New Orleans. And this is righteous. I mean, this is just righteous. He's talking about Angola, which is the... I think I might have been trying to get on that bus. Uh, yeah, there's, there's him being interviewed. Yeah, this is a little clip we got. It's just something else. I am so delighted, but i got to read the scripture first. Let's don't get ahead of myself. I, Psalm 77. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained, and my spirit was overwhelmed. Thou holdest my eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. 
I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever and will he be favorable? No more. And then we skip to verse 11. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also on thy work and talk of all thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Okay, this is really neat. We have Burl Kane with us from Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana, where he lives, but he works in Jackson, Mississippi, where he is the head of the Mississippi uh, Department of Corrections, is doing some remarkable things in the prison systems, and we're here to talk about that today. Burl, welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. Thank you so much, Tom. Appreciate it. Thank you for being on with us today. Um, <clears throat> that clip was uh, with uh, Aaron Neville was from when he came and visited the inmates at Angola up in West Feliciana Parish, north of New Orleans, uh, I think, uh, up the Mississippi a little bit. And uh, Angola was an old plantation. Uh, it's the Mississippi uh, main penitentiary. I'm sorry, Louisiana main penitentiary, as I understand it. And you were the warden of that prison for, for a number of years. Right. 21 years. Okay. So tell us, let's just get to it here. As we say in Kentucky, uh, what things did you do, uh, during that time that distinguished you from other wardens that might've gone before? Well, it wasn't really what I did. It's what God did. And, uh, I was amazed at what he did do because I wasn't smart enough to change that prison and make it turn around like it did. It had to be a God thing. And I would look up at the sky and say, thank you, Jesus. I wasn't that smart to think of that. And so thank you. But anyway, uh, what happened was is right after I got there, I did an execution. And right after that, that then really caused me to realize, hey, you got to really take it way more serious because somebody's in the grave because of this guy. And uh, you're supposed to change and correct deviant behavior. That's what correction means and, and not just lock and feed. So we really moved on to that model. And it wasn't but three months later till some folks came along and said, hey, I would, I would complain about higher education because I didn't have any. And I'm a school teacher. I never worked in a prison till I was a warden. Of, I was the warden of the prison and never had worked in one before. So anyway, uh, I was crying about higher education. They said, hey, why don't we do the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary? That'd give you some higher education. So I jumped on it, and that's what we did. But that was the culture changer and the real game changer because what happened is we learned about peer ministry and that if we could produce our own preachers in prison that were inmates, long-term inmates, do it without with the separation of church and state, then we could change the culture of the prison, and that's what happened. Okay, so flesh that out for me a little bit. You're saying that the New Orleans Baptist Seminary decided to come in and set up uh, a sort of an outpost, if you will, 
but you're dealing with people uh, that might not have had a college degree and maybe even a, we're getting some feedback here. Uh, yeah, it'll go away in just a second. Okay. Um, that, uh, that might not have even had a, a college or, or a high school degree. How are these people going to jump right into seminary? Well, what happened is, you know, some high school, some prisoners are educated, have high school diplomas and so forth. And so they all wanted higher education because the seminary was accredited just like LSU. So if you do a four year course there, then you got a real degree that really counts. And that's a big thing towards reentry. But what we did is we targeted long-term inmates because we had to raise the money from the private sector and we wanted to get more bang for the buck. We knew we didn't, we didn't do it for them individually. It was what they could do for the rest of the prison and, and to change the other inmates. And so it really did work. I give you an example. If your pastor at your church got on an airplane and went to the Bahamas as soon as the sermon was over, didn't come back till the next Sunday, your church wouldn't thrive. Right. And that's what, that's what prison ministry does. These people, they're wonderful. They need to do it, but they're not there to, to preach the funeral and sit on the bed with them at night and console them when their mother passes away or their, or their wife leaves them. So it just made for more of a, of a community by having their own pastors. So I'm familiar with a lot of people around here in the, uh, um, recovery uh, group, uh, people that are into, uh, uh, long-term recovery. But one of the things that they say is that prison does not equal recovery. Prison I, should. Yeah. It can. And it is. And we're doing it in Mississippi because now we've started an addiction program that are based on the 12 step program where inmates are basically teaching the program, but it's going to be a six-week program, and then we'll have aftercare because inmates are the best resource untapped that we have in our prisons today because many of them change. We want them to change. We want them to realize the error of their ways and correct it, and we give them a mechanism to correct what they've done by helping others. And what we need to learn is that moral people don't steal your lawnmower. So in prison, if we can teach morality, not religion, morality, just moral rehabilitation, then we can change lives, but we make prison safer. Right. Let me ask you this. You, you, uh, served at, uh, Angola uh, and Angola of course is legendary. I mean, anybody that's studied the blues or history of the South or things of that nature has, has heard of Angola prison. Uh, what, Tell me, uh, let's get off the, the, the topic, right? Tell me some comical or interesting or any kinds of experiences that you might've had, uh, during your, uh, experience there that stand out to you. Oh gosh, there's so many. I think one of the strangest ones was when an inmate that had been at Angola and was one of our inmate ministers had gone to another prison and, uh, he didn't feel like. He was, it was okay there. So he escaped and called me on New Year's Eve, 2015. and said, look, I've just escaped from the prison. I want to come back to Angola. Will you come get me? And so, and so that was, that was about the most craziest thing I ever heard. So what happened? I mean, did, did, did you, did you just go get him? No, what I did is I, my wife said, she said, it's a setup. Don't go. You're going to go. 
ambushing. I said, well, I don't have time to call a tag team, so get me two guns instead of one. So, oh, my God. I was getting dressed. Then I called the director of correction, the secretary of correction, and got him because I picked him up on the way, and we went to meet him. And so he was escaped. But just before we got there, it was about an hour and a half away from us. Then they caught him because he had escaped in ambush. So it's pretty easy to find somebody in ambush. Oh, my gosh. These guys don't <laughs> always think that far ahead, uh, I, w- I would say, perhaps. Uh, that, was pretty, that was pretty hilarious. But anyway, uh, you know, the thing that was greatest about it was the stories of redemption and how they changed their lives and then how they reacted back with the public. And it was so safe in Angola that we could bring little children down death row. And, and there was no, no profanity. The inmates are the ones that came to me and said, there's too much profanity. We all need to quit cursing. And so you just don't hear that ever, but I heard that. And so we all did. We made a rule. Profanity is outlawed and inmates in us too. And and so, but that's when the culture really changed in the prison. You would go a weekend with six, there were 6,325 inmates there. When I left, you'd go a weekend with no fight, no violence. Really? That's amazing. Right. Now, yeah. look, here's a good thing. We, we're doing this same program, and we had done it at Parchment, Mississippi State Penitentiary. Parchment Farm, o- Parchment Farm over in the Delta. That's right. And so we're really proud to announce that in the one year, the violence at Parkland dropped 52%. So what you did is it wasn't me. It was we, we did another unique thing. Some of these inmate pastors, and there was about 200 of them in Angola, and now, but they're, they're in the 19 other states. So this, this is working everywhere. And we have research from Baylor that proved it worked. We raised $1.3 million to pay for the research. We had to prove it, and other states are doing it as well. And I just was in Kentucky and met with a commissioner there, and she wants to start and do it because it really changes the culture of the prison, and we see revival going back into the community from the prisons because where do the prisoners come from? They come from some of the worst areas of our communities, but if we send them back as changed people, then we have revival there. So this is really working, and it's working well and accepted across the country. Do you know? So go ahead. Go ahead. I will give you an example. We have a seminary in Oregon, the most liberal state in the country. Is there's one in Oregon with Corbin University, and we have one in Wisconsin. We have one in Illinois. So they're all across the country. That's good. Okay. Now let me ask you something. Um, what you know with with with. Uh, inmates with people who get into the prison system and, and kind of get into this, uh, loop, if you will. Uh, what do you see is, is, is one of the more common characteristics? Would it be fatherlessness? Would it be, uh, I don't know, long-term, uh, exposure to violence? Uh, what are, what are some of these, uh, symptoms uh, that uh, people uh, uh, go through kind of on their way to, to getting in the prison system? Worst thing is, is too many young people don't get prepared for life and society by preparing themselves for a vocation. We have to have a vocation, and we have to have a job. And so they don't. They drop out of school. And when they drop out of school, and a lot of that's no debt. When you drop out of school, they don't have a skill or trade. They revi- they resort back to, to violence and the stealing and the extortion. And that's where these gangs come to play. 
And so uh, we don't parole anybody from Mississippi that's gang-affiliated. We're about to get to that point, and we don't do early release for people that are in gangs because you release people who are who make a living with extortion and corruption, and you don't want to turn that back on the public. So we have to fight the gangs. But mainly education, education, education. Don't drop out of school. And the other problem is we should fork off, if you really want to know what, it's eighth grade where we have two 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 academic levels. One is academic and one is skill and trade. Everybody right. can't go to college. Everybody maybe not can make A's in, in in math, but they can learn a skill and they don't like to fail, so when they start failing they drop out of school. But if right. you had skills and trade, the vocational, that direction, starting at eighth grade through the 12th, and when you graduate, you graduate, but you get your certified welding certificate or your certified air conditioning certificate, then you can go right on into a job. But we don't do that. We, we don't really educate like we really should. We need to focus on skills and trade. Um, now that, go ahead. That's foreign to you, isn't it? No, it's, uh, I like what you're saying. Um, do the prisons have uh, the uh, ability or the resources to actually provide training schools uh, for these different trades, or can you work out a work release element of their incarceration that would allow them to, you know, come out of the prison, go work in the private sector, get learn what they're doing and uh, learn a trade and then come back and fi finish out their sentence. No, the thing needs to be in the prison because what happens is they need to bring that culture to the prison. The prison needs to be the largest vocational school you have in your state. And in Mississippi, we've committed $6 million to reentry programs. And so we're going to end up, and here's a good thing. The, the teachers for these vocational schools are the inmates who already possess those skills. Everybody in prison was doing something normally. You have a lot of people who know all kinds of skills. Find them, equip them, and get them NCCR certification. That's like the ASE for automotive mechanics. And then the prison has to be maintained itself with maintenance, air conditioning, the vehicles it has, but have inmates teaching other inmates how to maintain and do all this and then get them certification. Right. If an inmate gets out of prison and he's, and he's certified with ASE certification in break in front in alignment, he will get a job at the Goodyear store or the, those kind of stores or the, or the car dealerships. We just have to equip them in prison for, 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 for jobs rather than just send them. We worry, we worry about their morals all the time, but we don't do their skills and trade because it costs money. We don't have the money for teachers. But the teachers are the other inmates. That's what I'm trying to show this whole country that we got our untapped resource is our prisoners. And they want to do something productive because their families appreciate it. They get out and they don't hurt you again. They got to have a job. Uh, you're talking about turning prisons from a, a place with a yard and a and a guard up there on a uh, on a, a tower with a gun looking down on everybody, turn them from that into uh, sort of like a big college. It's really a place where we are, again, to correct deviant behavior. And what you have, even in Kentucky, and not even in Kentucky, but in a lot of states, but you have a commissioner of corrections now, and I don't know what you had in the past, but really believes in education, really believes in skills and trades, really believes in vocation, 
And that's why we're going to start one of those seminaries in, in Kentucky because it trains the inmates to change their lives by other inmates teaching the others. And so that's what we're doing. And you're doing it in Kentucky, but it's a long way because it's four years to get this degree. But this is the model that we're teaching and following, and this is what we did at Angola. We know it worked because we have the research that proves it, and we had inmates teaching inmates skills and trades, and inmates getting jobs as soon as they got out in the pro board or the pro people, probation pro, drug test them and monitor them and see, and see that they stay on their job. Right. Then they transition right back into being productive citizens and taxpayers. What happens uh, in the case of recidivism? If somebody falls through the cracks, they drop back. Do you have a way to uh, give them a safety net and get them back on the right track? That's kind of what we're doing with these addiction centers because most time they fall off because of addiction because they're addicted. And so when it, if we don't deal with their addiction problem while they're in prison, then they get out and then they resort right back to the drugs, right back to the addiction, and then you can't keep the job. You lose the job that we trained you for. So if we teach you skills and trades, we must deal with addictions in prison. Prison should be a place to change people's lives. We need to have less victims of violent crime. If we do our job, and that's what will occur. And that's what we're trying to do in Mississippi and really get out here in front of it and, and uh, change people's lives, have less violence, reduce recidivism rate, and make them productive citizens. This is doable. You know, I, I, I'm going to tell you something. We're going to talk some more here. We're, we ain't done. We got another half. But I don't see how every governor in every state, not only in the U.S., but worldwide, would not get behind what you're doing here. They are really, I think so. And we are working with them and we really, really doing that. And, uh, again, it wouldn't be in all these other states if people weren't accepting and embracing it. But what really was helped us was the research. If you don't have evidence-based research, people are skeptic. And then, uh, we realize that we want people to come out of prison and preach and do, do ministry, but we want them to let the inmate be in the pulpit. All right, Burl, we're wrapping up the first half of the first hour. We're going to go to a break. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. The hottest happening right now. It is so hot. Happens right here. More expensive farm. The Delta variant. Open border. At the top in 30 minutes past the hour. It's like the hot spot for news. News Radio 630 WLAP. Hi, this is Tom Dupree. What actually makes a difference in life? Is it Bitcoin? Is it gold? Perhaps it's bonds. Racehorses? No. Of any economic entity in which you can invest, the ones which actually make a difference are corporations. They are maligned, taxed, demonized, run by left-wing ideologues, but still, they must produce a profit. They cannot afford to invest in things the way that government does. Their investments must show a profit. Their investments must be productive. We believe our clients like to think their investments are being productive, both for society and for them. For a free review of your retirement investment portfolio, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 and be sure to listen 
to the Tom Dupree Show Saturdays at 7 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Tickets are on sale now yes. for our 2021 iHeartRadio Music Festival, September 17th and 18th in Las Vegas. Billie Eilish, Cheap Trick, Coldplay, Dua Lipa, Florida Georgia Line, J. Cole, Journey, Khalid, Little Baby, Maroon 5, Nelly, Sam Hunt, Weezer, special guest performance by Phineas, and more on the T-Mobile Arena nighttime stage. Get tickets now through AXS.com. That's AXS.com iHeartRadio Earth is here with little tips for a healthier planet. A staggering 8 million tons of plastic ends up in the world's oceans every year. If current trends continue, our oceans could contain more plastic than fish by 2050. Do your part. Purchase items made from renewable or recycled content and recycle whenever possible. Brought to you by iHeartRadio Earth and the National Environmental Education Foundation. To find more tips for smarter, sustainable living or to take action in your own community, go to iHeartRadio.com Earth. Drive-by birthday parties, virtual weddings. In a world full of things you never thought possible, here's one more. Now you can get Allstate's quality insurance at an affordable rate. When you bundle your home and auto, you'll save up to 25%. With Allstate, you can lower your rates, not your expectations. Visit Allstate.com or call an agent for a quote today. In most states, prices vary based on how you buy. Savings vary. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company, Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company, and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. Scattered showers and thunderstorms throughout the day on this Saturday as temperatures trying to warm up into the 80s, but could be tough with those storms coming through. Some storms could be on the stronger side, producing low visibility with that heavy rain and gusty winds. I'm WKYT, meteorologist Adam Burson. Broadcasting live 24 7 from the heart of Big Blue Nation, this is News Radio 630 WLAP and iHeart Radio Station. In Season 2 of the hit podcast, Paper Ghosts, investigative journalist M. William Phelps searches for the truth behind the tragedy of July 4th weekend, 1981. A massive fire engulfs a farmhouse in America's heartland. Four members of a wealthy Ohio family are dead. But was it the fire that killed them? My brother says, Carol, something's up. They're not telling us everything. That is not a fire. There is too much blood. Listen to Season 2 of Paper Ghosts on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're wondering what's going on in the markets these days, you're not alone. It seems the conventional metrics of discerning value in markets has been thrown out the window. Perhaps it may help to look at interest rates, which are lower than ever. They are lower than in my dad's time in the business and in my granddad's time. Interest rates can justify valuations in the stock market and lower interest rates can support higher valuations. So maybe things aren't that crazy. We talk about stuff like this at Dupree Financial Group. For a no-obligation review of your retirement investment portfolio, call us at 859-233-0400 or go to DupreeFinancial.com. And be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show Saturdays from 7 to 9 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP at WLAP.com. That's Dupree Financial Group at 2330 WLAP. 
Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us this week is Burl Kane. Burl is the head of the Mississippi Department of Corrections. And we're glad to have him. We're learning a lot about what is going right in prisons these days. That was good how you did that, honey. You ought to think about a career in radio. I'm actually circling back around. <laughs> well, Burl, uh, it's a great pleasure to have you here on the show today. Um, before we get back into talking about your work in the prisons, um, I noticed in your uh, uh, bio that you were from Western Louisiana, Vernon Parish to be exact. Uh, near Leesville, Louisiana. I, when I lived in Houston back in the early 80s, I would sometimes take out a leave out of Houston early in the morning. I'd drive over to Beaumont or Lake Charles, and uh, once or twice I drove right up the uh, Sabine River on the Louisiana side, uh, just straight north, uh, and going up, you know, and looking at the little towns in Louisiana. That's a part of Louisiana you don't hear about very much. Far western, a lot of pines, uh, timber operations, uh, paper mills, and things of that nature all up through there. But it was an interesting little area, uh, not at all like New Orleans or uh, the Cajun areas at all. It's much different, right? Right, it's the piney woods, and that's kind of it's kind of a lot of poor folks, and just piney woods and timber, and not a lot of industry, just country. It's a little bit like uh, East Texas, the part of East Texas that's closest to the Louisiana border. Uh, you got some big lakes up there. You got Toledo Bend, uh, Sam Rayburn. That's more over in Texas. Toledo Bend splits the line between uh, Louisiana and Texas. Uh, good bass lakes. Uh, you get farther north, uh, Caddo Lake. Uh, well, I think that may that's kind of in both. You get up towards Shreveport. I always enjoyed that area. I thought it was nice and and uh, it, like you say, it's really back in the country. You know, it's kind of primitive land because the Mississippi Louisiana Purchase was the land drained by the Mississippi River with the Sabine River was the border of Texas, and so Calcasieu River drains all that land. So that was a real true no-man's land in the early ages, early times of our country. So Gene Lafitte would park his, his pirate boat in Lake Charles, and the Portuguese there would get off the ship and, and uh, the boats. And so that's kind of – they would marry the Indians, and so that's kind of the culture of the people there a little bit. It's a little bit different. Also, people don't realize this. There was some Dutch influence in western Louisiana. You have the little town of Zwali. I think there's one called DeWitt. Um, and people don't realize that there was uh, Dutch influence in western Louisiana. It is. It sure is. So, and there's some German influence, a lot of German influence, too. Right. It's fascinating. that Those kinds of things are so fascinating to me. So tell me, you, you talked a little bit about uh, your what we've been doing in the prisons here and what you're going to do, and we're going to get back to that. But if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about, about you, how you came up, 
how you ended up uh, getting to where you are today. Well, my mom was a school teacher. My dad was a farmer, and we had cattle in the open range, and so we grew up, you know, poor and and uh, primitive. But she insisted we all go to college, and so whether we wanted to go or not, we had to go. And she decided I needed to go to LSU, and so she took me down and put me out. Told me, "Don't you flunk out, boy." And so right. I said, "Yes, ma'am." And so it was a struggle. I'm telling you, it was really hard, a different world. But I worked at the beef barn, and we worked and got through. And, uh, and anyway, then I wound up working for the Farm Bureau, and then I wound up having my degree with low ag education. I'm an ag teacher. Then this job came open in the Department of Corrections to run the farms and industries, and I got that job. And so from there, that was appointed by the governor, Governor Edwin Edwards, and then the uh, prison job came open i want to be a prison warden and so i applied i qualified technically but i never worked in the prison before and so i told the governor he said i can give you the job i can't help you keep it and i said you won't be sorry i can do it and so i got the message from my mom she said when i told her i'm gonna be a prison warden she said i'm gonna tell you one thing i raised you right you went to church every time the doors open and she did she said, God's going to hold you accountable if those men have a chance to know him. And that came back to me. that Yeah, that night I did that first execution. I did not tell that guy or say anything to him about his soul. And everything his mother, everything my mother had told me came back to haunt me that I was the last human on this earth. And that's when I committed myself to really, really do everything in my power to change the culture of the prison and change the people. And so it was from her. And that was a big deal to me. And then my father, he had a favorite scripture, and I'm going to read it to you if you don't mind. It's Second Chronicles 7, 14. It says, And if my people who are called by my name will turn and change their ways and pray, I will turn my face back toward them and heal their land. So that's kind of kind of candid there, but that's kind of what prison is. He healed their land because they did with the seminary and all turn back to God. And that's what we really need to do in this country. And we see revival coming from the prisons, and that's what's really cool. And so uh, prisons are a place of change, and we, we see all the pain that's caused by all the crimes they commit, and then we want to just change that. That's what we see in America today. I think we see a great change in our prison, and a lot of folks are moving the way we are at Angola and the way we are at Mississippi. Um, the, we, we know it's no, it's painful, you know, to know this, but people typically do not change unless they're confronted with, with what I would call an intractable situation, uh, something that they can't talk their way out of, weasel their way out of, uh, run, run their way out of that's when people finally uh sit down and look in the mirror and prison is where that can happen i I'm, i've been in the corporate uh investment world for 42 years and companies quite often if they're facing bankruptcy or considerable difficulty uh they will take um drastic measures to change how they're doing things if they're making a lot of money, everything's fine. They're booking along. There's absolutely no reason to change, and they usually don't. 
It's true with human beings also. You're not going to get people to change until the circumstances become so painful that they have no other alternative. Right. That's what it is in prison. That's why it's the perfect place to have the seminary and equip inmates to change other inmates because they're on their knees in there. And that's where you can change them. And they're living hard, but they're looking for a better life. And then they want to change their life. And they want to excel with their family and make up for the things they did wrong. And what we really saw was when an inmate wanted to tell a victim's family, I'm sorry, I wish I, I hate what I did to you, and I want to, I beg your forgiveness. And when we see that, we know they really have changed. And that's what we're looking for, is for them to want to give back, because to be great among your peers, you must give and, and give and not be a taker. Because a, a prisoner normally is a thief. He takes what he wants. He steals your body, your car, whatever he wants. And we have to make it be the opposite of that to really change their life. Otherwise, they just do the time and get out and do it again. Right. Um, Burl, let me ask you something. Going forward with these programs of change in these prisons, like, for instance, you're talking about doing it here in Kentucky. How practically can my listeners who are predominantly in Kentucky help to facilitate uh, this uh uh, change and, 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 uh, you know, new beginnings, if you will, take place in the Kentucky prison systems. Well, you're asking me right on the front end of what's happening. Cause I was only there three weeks ago. What I have to do next year is I have to set up a nonprofit and we'll come to, we'll come to Kentucky and do that. And we'll even put up the money from the nonprofit. We have prison seminary foundation to pay for their nonprofit, which is about four or 5,000. But we have to raise all the money to pay for the seminary every year to keep the separation of church and state. Not one tax dollar can go into this program. And that's what's happening in all these other states. So Kentuckians, at some point, we're going to be asking for them to help us pay for this school. And this school is going to cost about one hundred and forty to 50000 every year. We've been able to sustain that in all these other 19 states, and we don't forget the women. We have women's seminaries as well. Now, they're non-denominational, so it's going to be like we have the Baptist Seminary in, in Louisiana, Mississippi. But the people who go to the seminary can be any religion or no religion. We don't care. We were looking for the morality is what we're looking for, but the religion catches them. And so that's what happened. We're producing missionaries and preachers. Then these graduates will go in groups of four to all the other prisons in the state of Kentucky, and then they'll start changing the culture in those prisons. And believe you me, the research proved it changes. In Texas, they're, they're field ministers, is what we call them, and already in 60 prisons in Texas. And so everywhere they go, the wardens love it because the prisons are safer, and they change. And so... That's what we have to do in Kentucky. We have to build this nonprofit that we haven't even started on, and we have to then let the nonprofit raise the money and give the money to the seminary, working as a three-legged stool. The seminary is one leg. The prison system is the other leg. The nonprofit is the other leg. They work all three together to support the school so there's no tax dollars. That's how it right. works. So Kentuckians are going to have to step up somewhere, and we'll find them. God is going to provide. We've never failed. No, you'll find them. In fact, you're listening to one of them, or you're talking to one of them right now. 
We're good. Thank you a lot. Yeah. We'll talk later. Yeah, we will. <laughs> um, the, uh, you know, it's remarkable. I mean, uh, people have been praying for a revival and this and that, but it doesn't always come out of the sources you think it's going to come from. Right. It's coming out of the prison to where it's coming from. That's amazing. And that, and, and yeah. that, but those are the least among us in a sense. Those are the people that have been the most humbled and humiliated. And therefore they are the ones that, uh, their hearts have been prepared through circumstances to receive the word and to perhaps uh, preach the word also. Listen, the chaplains at Parchman that are, that are Mississippi Department of Correction employees, chaplains, are graduates of the seminary in Angola. One of them did 42 years in Angola. They're juvenile murders is what they are. They went to the seminary. They changed their lives. They became productive citizens. They got parole. We switched the parole from Louisiana to Mississippi. And their state employees at Mississippi being chaplains, they can go in every cell block. They can go in death row. They go everywhere. They're not afraid up and down through there evangelizing and carrying the, whatever religion. It can be a Muslim. We don't care. Whatever religion they are, take morality with you. And that's what made that 52% drop in violence happen at Parchment. No doubt about it. Because these are productive, God-loving, God-fearing people. Okay. That were murdered. I, I, I got to ask you. I can't let you off here. Can't let you off here with without asking you a little bit about your LSU Tigers and uh, <laughs> what's going on. I'm sure you probably go to the games and, and, and that sort of thing. And uh, what kind of football season are we going to have out of out of your LSU Tigers this year? Well, I got to tell you, I'm a I'm a Mississippi State Bulldog right now. We just won a oh, okay. Yeah, you did. <laughs> You, you we did, did baseball. I'm real proud of them. But LSU, we don't know. We timed out on them. We got a lot of issues, and so we don't yeah. know what's going to be. We're hopeful, hopeful, hopeful. Well, we Elizabeth, hope. my wife, watched every inning of that uh, uh, World Series. And i tell you what, I had a lot of Ole Miss friends that are, that are kind of eating crow right now. So go ahead. Well, the, they were talking one of the things, the highlights with that Mississippi State baseball um, winning the championship is when you're dealing with a small town, it becomes just the biggest thing. Those kids on that team will be folk heroes from here on out. And that that's the best part of that story. I think it's an amazing story. Wonderful. I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I love them. I have t-shirts now. Bulldogs, go dogs. Used to be go tigers. <laughs> well, and they were talking about how I don't remember what the the car trip was from uh, Mississippi out to Omaha, but it was 17, 18 hours. It seems like I remember, and that stadium was full of red. I mean, it was amazing. it what? was amazing. It's actually maroon. Crimson. <laughs> I did. Let's not split hairs. Red. My, my maroon. uncle. My uncle, Dave Galtney, who lived in New Orleans, uh, was a Mississippi State graduate and was in the same dorm that Jerry Clower was in. Uh, this was back in the 50s. It was a dorm called Old Main. 
it burned down in the fifties. It, it held like 1500 men. It was a, it was, it was a crazy place, but, uh, Mississippi state has got some remarkable stories, some remarkable history and, uh, a lot, a bunch of really super nice people. They are they're good people. I like Mississippi. I like where I live. I, I actually live in Jackson. Yeah, I just happened to come over here this weekend to go to the doctor. But I like it up there. It's a good place to live. It's a good state. It's very progressive. It has a good governor. And they really allowed us to make these changes and corrections. That's because good. They want it to be better, and that's really good. Well, we, we were in a wedding. We're at a wedding, not in the wedding, but we were at a wedding in Jackson. Uh, what's it been, honey? About six weeks ago? Earlier in the summer. Yeah, earlier in the summer. Stayed at the Fairview Inn down near the Millsaps College uh, uh, campus and had a great time. So you're in a wonderful state. Listen, uh, I just want to, will you uh, perhaps, can we check in with you uh, from time to time to find out how uh, we can aid and abet this process uh, that you're going to be doing in the uh, prison system here in Kentucky? Oh, yes, and I'll be back up there to see you, and I'll be talking to you, and I have to do this. And We have some other guys that work in our nonprofit. I'm, I'm right now pretty inactive because I'm so busy in Mississippi, but we will be in touch, and I'll personally be talking to you, and we'll keep in touch because we got to move forward. we got to go to other places. And, it, and you're going to see it work and change the culture of prisons there. Doc is doing it in Mississippi, so it's a good thing. Yeah, right. keep in touch. I am. Okay, we're we're going to do that. And uh, I just I just want to say that uh, I've had numerous friends in the recovery community around here. Some of them have done some prison time, and dis- despite the fact that the uh experience was a bit of a heart stopper for them or for anybody because you know you you don't know what's going to happen with your life but they hit they they hit a point it's like bill wilson talks about in alcoholics anonymous the book where finally you know you hit a bottom if you will that's that's what the aa people and the addicts and and those talk, and that that's when there's time. There's a opportunity for spiritual growth and spiritual change when that happens. And it sounds like you guys are grabbing people right as they're hitting that bottom, which is the most effective time to do it. Absolutely, you got it. You understand it. It's what we're doing. Praise God. That's that's beautiful. And so we're going to be thinking about this and trying to uh, do what we can to uh, help you stay in touch with uh, what you're doing, help you with anything you need up here. We'll be, we'll be on top of it. Cause I totally believe in, in re- revival and that the country needs more of Jesus Christ and more love. And we got to change and it starts at the bottom. And that's, that's a great deal. And really, there's never been a more important time in the country's history with all of the violence that we're seeing, and um, and I'm I'm sure with the gang activity and the the border issues we've got going on, 
the prisons are going to be kind of the nucleus of of really helping things get turned around um, from the inside out, so to speak. So, Burl, thank you so much for joining us this week. We um, hope the listeners have learned something. And if there's ever a truer thing, education is so important. Digging us all out of the mess that the country's in and, and what's going on in our prison. So we will be back in just a few minutes with our financial guys to go over what's been going on in the markets. Thank you. Thank you, Burrow. Yeah, thanks it. again. We'll right, be ba- thank you all so much. We'll we'll be back in just a few minutes with more of the Tom Dupree Show. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Tom Dupree. What actually makes a difference in life? Is it Bitcoin? Is it gold? Perhaps it's bonds, racehorses? No, of any economic entity in which you can invest, the ones which actually make a difference are corporations. They are maligned, taxed, demonized, run by left-wing ideologues, but still, they must produce a profit. They cannot afford to invest in things the way that government does. Their investments must show a profit their investments must be productive. We believe our clients like to think their investments are being productive, both for society and for them. For a free review of your retirement investment portfolio, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 and be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show Saturdays at 7 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. 